Good afternoon and welcome to episode five of the Spill the Cup podcast. I'm Jonathan Acosta here with my partner, Edgar Chavero. And Edgar, the World Cup final is finally upon us this Sunday. The game that we've all been waiting for. Maybe not the two teams we expected. France, one of the heavy favorites coming in. They've made their spot in the final. Croatia, the other surprise finalist. They've made their way to this final for the first time in the history of their country. Just opening thoughts, what do you think of this matchup? Considering this matchup, you really have two teams that have had two different paths to the World Cup final. Croatia, two penalty victories over Denmark and Russia, an extra time victory over England. They've had a really gritty, a really tough route to the World Cup. They've had to overcome a lot of deficits, but they've shown that they don't panic. Meanwhile, France, in their knockout stages, they've kind of been... Not on cruise control, but they've been able to defend well. They showed against Belgium that they can hit teams on the counter as well. We, we heard some criticism coming out after that game from players like Ian Hazard, but it worked. That's exactly. all that matters. Ironically enough for France, the game that they've had the most problems with was Argentina, the team that we thought was one of the most shambolic teams of the entire tournament. 4-3 game really put France, I think, kind of on notice and. They've kind of learned from that and shown what they've learned from that in the games against uh, Uruguay and Belgium. Before we look specifically at the matchup in France versus Croatia, let's look back a little bit at the semifinals. What what do you think we saw in uh, France versus Belgium and then uh, Croatia versus England? In the France versus Belgium match, I, I was kind of skeptical of Roberto Martinez's lineup choices for the first time this tournament. It was ironic because I thought he made a mistake starting Fellaini from the start. Mm-hmm. I think Fellaini, when you start him from 90 minutes, it kind of nullifies what he's really good at, and that's coming in late in the game as a presence in that in the air. Although he did play very well against Brazil, but I, I agree. I, he played well against Brazil, but he just didn't have the legs to combat that French midfield with Kante, Pogba, Matuidi. Everybody was really running in there and just filling up those holes. That midfield lacked a step. I think it would have been better for that game if you kind of reverted back to the way they lined up in their round of 16 game against uh, Japan, where you have De Bruyne in that spot with Fellaini kind of as a deep-lying playmaker, and you bring on a guy like Mertens who can kind of break down the defense a little bit better to give Belgium a little more going forward. We didn't see Yannick Carrasco either that much. I thought while he was wasteful in previous matches, he did provide an outlet out on that left-hand side. Especially with his speed. De Bruyne, you saw him kind of get... Desperate, late in the game, rifle some shots over the net. You saw Roberto Martinez trying to calm his team down. I thought that Belgium really kind of came out of their shoes a little bit too much late in that game, searching for the equalizer. Had they relaxed a little bit, trusted in their quality, I thought maybe they could have found a way to scratch one late in the game. By the same side of the token, though, I think a lot of credit has to be given to France because while they have all this talent going forward, they've been criticized, like you mentioned, a little bit for kind of they always seem like they have a little extra gear because they've focused a lot defensively. They kind of got hurt by um, those issues in the Euros in that final against Portugal. I think they kind of learned from that a little bit. And they've been very solid defensively. Umtiti and Varane form an excellent center-back pairing. And N'Golo Kante is an engine in midfield. He doesn't stop running. He can run for 90 minutes, 120 minutes. He'd probably run for five hours if he wanted to. And Kante just covers everything. I think he was a big part in frustrating uh, De Bruyne, frustrating his Chelsea teammate Hazard. He was just everywhere. And Pogba's done a good job, too, of while he's been given more of a license to go forward, be creative, make those box-to-box runs, he's also helped Kante in sort of in that midfield. And a big part, I think, also as well is the kind of the lopsided 4-2-3-1, where the left winger that they play is really like a center mid when they play Matuidi or Tolisso, mm-hmm. and I think that's given them an extra defensive uh, solidarity. So I think that helped them 
kind of stymie Belgium a little bit. Even their forwards, too. You saw Olivier Giroud track back three, four times, make some important tackles. They really have that mentality that it's a team effort in order to get to where they want to be. And when Giroud steps back and tries to uh, create pressure or when he's able to win the ball back, you see, what's their first outlet? You have Mbappe outright. Yo, spring forward, we're going to send you the ball. And it's worked for them, obviously, pretty well in this tournament, specifically in the Argentina game. It'll be interesting to see if they um, can replicate sort of that same kind of success against uh, Croatia. Speaking of Croatia, what did you see in the Croatia-England game? I'm coming home, coming home. <laughs> Talking about England, right? Oh, yeah. So disappointed with kind of the way they got that early goal. I was actually watching the game, the Queen's Arms pub in Alachua County with a bunch of England fans rooting for their country. But after they got that first wicked goal from Trippier, I saw the same things that we had seen for most of the tournament. They got the goal, and then for some reason, they just invited Croatia back into that match. Especially in the second half. They kept up a little bit of pressure in the first half, but Subasic was never really forced into a big save. I think even through 50 minutes, I think it was, the only registered shot on goal was Kieran Trippier's goal. So saw kind of Croatia took them a little bit to get into the game, and England, when they could have really put their foot down, take a 2 nothing lead maybe, never really did it, never put the pedal to the metal. They kind of just let Croatia stay in it, stay in it, stay in it, go into halftime, halftime talk from Zlatko Dalic. Hey, we're still in this. Win the second half. And they come out, they pour it on England. And the thing with Croatia is they're so exciting to watch because a lot of teams will go forward, but they sort of seem to run out of ideas. Croatia can play intricate passes in the midfield and pass it into the box, or they're not afraid to swing it out wide for Perisic Rebic, let them take on players one-on-one -on -one and swing it in for Mandzukic. And you saw eventually Croatia just kept sending in crosses, 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 and eventually Perisic was able to beat kind of a defender to one, stick out his foot to deflect in for a great goal and from that moment on it was all Croatia you knew if it was going to end in extra time or in regulation Croatia was going to win and it seemed like England was almost playing for penalties a little bit after they got that equalizer you saw Croatia do to England what I wanted to see England do to them hold the ball possess the game even their defenders the way they defended with Vida and Lovren you saw Lovren come out after the game and say he's one of the best defenders in the world now I don't know a little bit of an overstatement but yeah I don't know where that comes from, but you can see the confidence that every single one of these Croatian players has. And I think a lot of it has to do with, I think the English media was underrating Croatia's midfield, which is was a huge mistake. Croatia's midfield, uh, Marcelo Brozovic, uh, they brought him in. and said, So the prior game, they had Kramaric playing in that hole behind Mandzukic, and they had Modric and Rakitic playing as the holding midfielders. I like this switch that Dalic made by bringing in Brozovic kind of freeing up Rakitic and Modric a little bit, kind of in a 4-3-3, and I think that was fantastic because Croatia's midfield dominated England's midfield. England's midfield doesn't really have a guy that can kind of dominate the midfield and kind of like look out for the pass and stuff like that. Lingard and Ali attacking midfielders, but they're, they don't play that same number 10 kind of role that both Rakitic and Modric can play, and Modric was fantastic that game, just kind of controlling the tempo and everything. A lot of stuff that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but when you watch the game, you can see the influence he has. Switching the side, slowing the game down, knowing when to counterattack. I thought Modric and Rakitic were both fantastic, especially in that extra time. Just kept pouring it, pouring it, pouring it, pouring it. In terms of England, I thought, like you said, what we've seen from the beginning, even the in the Colombia game, when Colombia equalized 93rd minute, that extra time was all Colombia. England, fortunate to win in penalties. I thought this was something to show that we may have been overrating England the whole tournament because if we look at their wins, they beat Panama, not a strong team. They beat Tunisia, not a strong team, and they struggled against Tunisia. They lost to Belgium when both teams played their backups. 
Um, they beat a Colombia without James Rodriguez in penalties. And then easy win against a Sweden team that was always going to sit back and invite the pressure anyways. So a good semifinal run for England, but I thought Croatia was the deserved finalist in the end. And we'll get to see England one more time in the third place playoff on Saturday against Belgium. But ironically, it's once again a game between those two teams that doesn't mean absolutely anything. Although the good thing is usually third game, uh, third place games are very open. Um, we remember the one in the last World Cup, uh, Netherlands-Brazil. I think it was like 3-1 or something like that. But both teams just going back and forth, back and forth. So it should be an exciting game. We'll see how many of the starters stay in. But I think both teams after... Good tournament runs would want to end the tournament on a good note by securing that third place, um, which would be the best result they've had in a while for either one of them. So I think we should be looking forward to a good match on Saturday, but it's the one on Sunday that everyone's going to be looking forward to. What are, you, what are you, the key things that you're looking for in France versus Croatia? It's a little bit of hitting the same drum that we've already talked about, but that midfield battle is going to be so important because both countries really have two of the most world-class midfields in this entire tournament. Mm -hmm. Modric and, and Rakitic against Pogba and Kante, whichever pair can really control the tempo of the match, get the ball up to their forwards. Do you think Dalic chooses to go with Brozovic again, kind of in a defensive midfield role, and kind of free up Rakitic and Modric a little bit? Or do you think he plays Kramaric to kind of give Croatia more on the counterattack and play Modric and Rakitic in the defensive midfield? I think with Brozovic, like you said, it gives them a little bit more protection. I think... He likes Kramaric coming off the bench a little bit more, maybe late in games. Like you said, they're, they're going to be prepared for this game going late. They know what it takes. That's one advantage that I think they do have. They've battled a lot of adversity, so they're, they're a very mentally tough team while France hasn't had to battle much uh, adversity so far this tournament. But don't put it past the French to be able to overcome a little bit of adversity. Mm -hmm. They've got the quality to do it. They've got the mental toughness, I think. I've been especially impressed with the way Umtiti and Varane have improved over the tournament. You saw them in the group stages look a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. I think Umtiti, some people when balls come into the box, they still think he looks a little uncomfortable, but he's had a lot of last-ditch saves, a lot of great sliding tackles there, that, not to mention the goal that he scored. France have given up three goals all tournament, all against Argentina, and if we look at them, they're all kind of fluky. The first one, golazo from Di Maria. No one's stopping that. I don't care who you are. The second one, oh, Kind of freak deflection from the Messi kick, bounces off Mercado and goes in. Okay, fine. And then the third one was Aguero, Argentina already down by two goals. Other than that, France have been defensively solid. Didn't go up a goal against Australia, not against Denmark, not against Peru, who threw everything at them, not against uh, Belgium. What else can you say about the French defense? Hugo Lloris, in my opinion, the Golden Glove leader so far, he's made fantastic saves. He had the one against them. I forget who headed it for Belgium, but diving to his right, gets it out at the last moment. Fantastic tournament from him. The key to watch will be that midfield role, but I also think it'll be interesting to watch the, the fullbacks. They love to push forward. Both teams like to get crosses into Giroud and Mandzukic. Versalco's been, in my opinion, one of the most impressive great. players. He's yeah. been really good all tournament. I've been really surprised by him because I saw a little bit of him when he was at Atletico Madrid in a, in a game against Arsenal in the Europa mm -hmm. League. He got sent off in the first 10 minutes, so he's really been able to show what he can do on that right-hand side. But so has Benjamin Pavard for France. Lucas Hernandez on that left side. They've both really come into their own, and you see... It'll be interesting because Hernandez will be matched up on the same side as his Atletico teammate Versalco. So we'll see how they overlap each other on that side and everything. Uh, Versalco able to overlap with Rebic, while Lucas Hernandez, that left side for France is a little bit more defensive since it's that lopsided formation with Matuidi playing out there on the left. Talking about Matuidi, I've 
been saying for the past couple games that maybe if you insert a Nabil Fekir on that left-hand side, it could give France a little bit more of that. I'd love to see Usman Dembele because I think they have – I think France don't really need to worry about defensive um, cover because they have Kante and the two center backs. And even Pogba is uh, retreating and winning balls as well. So I think free them up a little bit. Play Dembele out on the left because the thing is when France counterattack, they just have Griezmann, Giroud, and, and uh, Mbappe. So it's kind of lopsided to that right side. If you throw in Dembele – People are rushing over to cover Mbappe. Dembele has world-class pace as well. You send a ball over to him, it's a wrap. It's a goal. So we'll see. Maybe Deschamps saves it for maybe 70th-minute sub. We've seen him kind of do that a little bit in turning a guy like Fekir or Dembele at times. And Zanzi, too, has done a great job coming off the bench and just securing leads. Exactly. So that's a good thing for France. They have a lot of different options that they can go to on the bench. Uh, Whatever the tactics require in that certain moment, they have the players to fit into that scheme. I definitely think they present a lot more issues for Croatia than England did. I was really disappointed with the way England brought on Jamie Vardy so late in that game. I thought they needed somebody to stretch the field for for a, for a long time in that match. And I thought taking off Sterling for Rashford wasn't the correct decision. If anything, I thought Harry Kane looked a little bit tired. Um, he wasn't doing much in the game. I would have brought in Rashford for Kane. You have two pacey forwards in Rashford and Vardy, and you still have Sterling, who his movement, no one on that same England team, he's had, Sterling's had a fantastic season at City, and I think he's learned a lot from Pep, and I thought you could see that in the England games. His finishing left a lot to be desired, but his movement, his positioning, his link-up play, just his his football IQ was, was something that England could have used in that extra time, and I think they lacked it once they brought on Rashford. We talk about Raheem Sterling's finishing, but... Harry Kane's finishing wasn't too up to par in that match either. No. If if we look at his six, he might possibly win the golden boot, but kind of almost the most misleading golden boot that we've seen in a while because he had three from penalties, two from corner kicks against Tunisia, and then the other one was a deflection that clipped off the back of his heel and deflected like upper 90. So I guess a curler in some way, shape, or form, but never had like a real goal from run of play. So, and I think that... England, I thought that was England's fatal flaw. Their inability to get a goal from the run of play came back to haunt them. Eight of their 11 goals in the tournament ended up being from set pieces. Let's put England to bed. They've got one more chance to redeem themselves to really, end, like you said, end the tournament on a high against Belgium. It'll, that'll be a good match. But what, what do you think will happen when we get to Sunday? France, Croatia, your prediction. Ideally, I think everyone would want to see a fast tempo back and forth game. But these finals are never like that. We saw Germany-Argentina, two great attacks. Stymied, 1-0, extra time. The 2010 final, Spain-Netherlands, extra time, 1-0. 2006, 1-1 goes to penalties. So we've seen in these last three World Cup finals that they all go at least extra time. I'm going to say that happens again. The two teams will tie 1-1 in regulation. I think... um, We'll see at least one set-piece goal. I would bet it's France because Croatia have had problems defending from set-pieces. While we saw France break through on the set-piece against uh, Belgium with Umtiti's uh, goal. So I think France gets a set-piece goal. I think Croatia eventually find a moment of magic for Modric to tie it up. I think it goes to extra time, and that's where I think the Croatian legs start to tire a little bit. Their fourth straight game going to extra time. And I think uh, the pace of someone like Dembele combined with the pace of someone like Mbappe, I think they hit him for a counter and win it 2-1 in extra time. So I have France 2-1 against Croatia. If Croatia get out to a 1-0 lead, I can see this game finishing 1-0. Because Croatia has, I think, no issues getting that lead and then saying, get past us, France. Little teams have been able to do it so far in the tournament. Argentina couldn't do it. That 
my only worry with Croatia is set pieces because Russia scored against them on this actually last three games. Denmark scored them from a throw in. Russia uh, tied it up in extra time on a free kick against England, England. The free kick from Kieran Trippier. So the last few games they've given up set piece goals. And France, we've seen they have the, the they have players with height who can score or guys. So players with height: Pogba, um, Giroud, Giroud, Umtiti, Varane. Those guys can score from corners or free kicks, and then from direct free kicks, a guy like Griezmann who can easily put it in the back of the net anytime he gets a, a dangerous one. So that's my only worry for Croatia. Not good defenders of set pieces, and I think that's something that France can take advantage of. Now, if France... I know I'm giving everybody two situations here. Yeah. I'll give everybody my ultimatum at the end, my final prediction. If France can get out to a 1-0 lead, on the other hand, then Croatia's going to have to come out and attack them, and I think that'll really open up the game. I think, in the end, France are going to take it 2-1, like you said. Not an extra time, though. I think... The Croatian legs, the fact that they've played 360 minutes in the past three matches. Croatia have played the equivalent of one more full game than France have in the past week and a half. France have played three 90-minute matches, 270 minutes total. Croatia have played three 120-minute matches, 360 minutes. A full 90 minutes more than France, and that's a big difference. And that's a lot of, of pressure on a guy like Luka Modric. He's been great this entire tournament, but you saw him tire. You've seen him tire against England in the previous match as well. So there's going to have to be some sense of energy saving tactically by that Croatia side. Exactly. And I think just the talent that France have everywhere on the field. It's not to say Croatian, Croatia is one of the most talented teams in this tournament. But I think even coming into the tournament, we saw France. It's like they can put it all together. They have the talent. France came into this tournament as possibly the most talented team. And I think there have been situations in which France honestly played their best, but just the talent wins over a lot of things. And I think this happens here. I think the talent kind of, when when push comes to shove, I think France's talent at every single position just ends up winning out. I think we see a goal from Mbappe. It'll be interesting to see because depending on how the final goes, I could see Modric or Mbappe winning the golden ball. I think if Modric has a good final, even if Croatia ends up losing. I think Modric wins the golden ball. But if Mbappe scores a goal, maybe, and France ends up winning the final, I could see Mbappe winning. It would be crazy. Young player of the tournament and player of the tournament in general, that would be something to see for a 19 I wouldn't be surprised. He's he's capable of doing whatever he wants at this point. Mm-hmm. You talk about tall players, I think maybe Olivier Giroud might be due for a goal. He hasn't gotten one the entire tournament. He's known for scoring those big goals whenever he gets a chance. So you got to watch out for him against Lovren, against Vida. I think he can take advantage of that matchup there if he starts. People have been frustrated by him the entire tournament just because he's not as clinical, it appears, up in front of goal. It's kind of like the Sterling situation. But again, Giroud is so crucial to what France do, especially in that 4-2-3-1, because they can send the ball up to him and he can knock it down. And Griezmann's great at kind of run, making those late runs onto knockdowns from Giroud or... Drew combined with Mbappe outright, who I think is going to have a mismatch against uh, Strinic. Strinic is kind of that weak link in that Croatian back four uh, with Versalco, Lovren, and Vida. Strinic kind of not as fast as the other three defenders, um, kind of that weak link. And I think Mbappe, as we've seen him do all tournament long, I think he's going to have a lot of success just being able to run at him, either take it to the byline to cross it in for Giroud, or kind of take him on himself and look for a shot. The last couple games, though, I think from Mbappe, I've seen a little bit more frustration, a little bit more gimmicks from him he, he definitely now has that target on his back mm-hmm. teams are looking at him and saying this is the guy we got to stop you see him 
kicking the ball away. He's received a couple cheap yellow cards here and there. I think he's got to remain focused, especially. As a team, they have to make sure that Mbappe, that Pogba, those guys that are known to have those moments of emotion come through them, especially those young guys, make sure that they're focused, make sure that they're doing their defensive duties like they've done all tournament, and make sure that when they get the chance on the break, they can capitalize on it. All right, so you say 2-1 France versus Croatia. I say 2-1 France versus Croatia. Um, after the final, they present the awards. Who do you have for Golden Ball, uh, Golden Boot, and Golden Glove? And Young Player of the Tournament. Those are the four awards. So I think a few of the awards that we have remaining will be kind of decided by the result of the final, of the third-place match. The Golden Boot, Harry Kane holds a two-goal advantage over Lukaku right now. I don't think anybody will be over to overtake him. Griezmann is three goals behind, so he would need a net a hat-trick in the final. In terms of the golden ball. ball, it really is a contest right now, I feel, between Mbappe and Modric, as you mentioned earlier. So that one is really the big one that will be given to the winner of the tournament, I feel. Meanwhile, the golden glove, I think Hugo Lloris should be given it just for eating that bug in his mouth. <laughs> and, and, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, that man should be given should have been given an award right there. That was the biggest bug I've ever seen straight in his mouth. <laughs> so I think... I think he's been great all tournament in all seriousness. Jordan Pickford came into his own. He showed why he's such a promising young keeper. Save of the tournament against Mateo Suribe in that Colombia game. Crazy you, save. You also have to look at a guy like Suasic who's been so good on penalties. Mm -hmm. I think in the end, even if Croatia are able to take this one, Hugo Lloris takes the award. Young player of the year. That one you might as well hand it out before the tournament to Kylian Mbappe. I agree. I think... Golden ball will go to Luka Modric. I think it will be the same thing as last World Cup where the best t player on the losing team ends up winning the award. We saw Lionel Messi win the golden ball at the last World Cup. I think Luka Modric wins uh, the golden ball. Golden glove, I agree with uh, Hugo Lloris. Uh, clean sheets in every game except one, Argentina. Um, he's been fantastic. He had that great save again in the Belgium game. Even saw in Sports Center top 10. So nice to see a World Cup highlight making it on Sports Center top 10. Golden Boot, I, I agree with you. Harry Kane has that two-goal lead. Although I think Lukaku, if he plays, could at least tie him for it on six goals. And I think Lukaku would actually get in that case because I think he has more assists. And then, like you said, young player of the tournament. How could you pick someone other than Kylian Mbappe? I think Mbappe is the second youngest player in this tournament anyways, other than uh, Daniel Arzani from Australia. Mbappe at 19 years old has set this World Cup on fire. Um, everyone knows who he is right now. He's kind of had... A lot of us knew about Kylian Mbappe before this tournament, but for the casual soccer fan, they now know about Kylian Mbappe like they knew about James Rodriguez in 2014. So Great comparison right there between those two guys. Yeah, so Mbappe gets that award. I think Mbappe and Lloris won't just be celebrating those individual awards. I think they'll also be raising that World Cup trophy on Sunday. Well, guys, we have one more episode of Spill the Cup left. We'll be recapping the final after it's over and what we saw from this tournament, what we'll be doing going forward. We want to thank everybody that's been with us along the ride. Like we've said before, if you guys have any comments, any thoughts you want to share with us, at me on Twitter, the Edgar Chavero. At John, J-O-N, Acosta, A-C-O-S-T-A, underscore 10. This past month has been absolutely amazing. You really have to enjoy things while you have them because we only have two matches left. And the World Cup only every four years. So it's after this, till 2022 in Qatar, that's going to be a long wait. Well probably be seeing you guys in 2022 on another platform so like we said enjoy the games enjoy the rest of the tournament i'm edgar chavero i'm jonathan acosta thanks for listening have a great day guys